Good morning and welcome to the third week in our series, Relationship Health. Now before we go any further, I've got great news for all of the little ones today. You're staying in here with us. Okay, I was just seeing it. But here's the good news. I've got candy. Okay, how's that? I got candy. All right, there we go. I got a couple. Of, all right, very good. Just want to make sure. Hey, there's a couple of reasons why we're doing this today. One is Lauren is still under uh, the weather. And um, also the subject matter of what we're talking about today, I think, is going to be good for our kids to hear. So we are talking about the parent and child relationship and so we want to do the best that we can do to improve the relationships in the homes and uh, have healthy relationships. Last week, we talked about the marriage relationship. The week before that, we talked about our relationship with Jesus and how if everything is built on that, they're going to go a whole lot better. Today, we are turning our attention to the parent-child relationship. And I'm glad that the little ones are here because I think if you little ones pay attention today, then you can benefit from what we're talking about today. I know your parents will benefit from what we're talking about today because here's the deal. It's not easy being a parent today. Can I get an amen? amen. Being a mother or father has always been a very, very difficult uh, challenge, but I think it's even more challenging today than maybe in all of history. Uh, you, you can go all the way back to Cain and Abel and you know that there were troubles all the way back then, but there is so much negative influence on our kids today, um, maybe more so than in, in the history of the world. Um, Christians, as parents, Christians have to battle the availability of things that, that no other society ever has, uh, at least it, it just inundated with the availability of drugs and the acceptance of promiscuity within our society, and so uh, it's difficult. Parents have to counter the anti-Christian bias that is in our media sometimes and in some of our schools, and more and more parents have to overcome the stress of, of blended families, and a lot of families get frustrated because they see other Christian families that... Um, don't necessarily live up to the Christian standard. They've, they've kind of lowered their standards a little bit, and they don't seem to be as committed as what your family is. And so your kids see those families off doing things uh, that maybe they shouldn't be doing. And they say, well, they go to church too. And so they have to battle with that. And so we want all of our we want all of our children to grow up with biblical values. We want them to know Christ. We want to have a healthy relationship with them. We want them to reach their full potential. But uh, how can we achieve those goals uh, in a world that seems to be so spiritually hostile? So here's what I want to do today, all right? I want to divide this message up into three different stages of life. And I'm going to deal with each one individually. And the first ones that I want to talk to this morning are the little ones, the elementary age. Now, how many of you, raise your hand if you're in here today and you're under the age of 13. Raise your hand if you're under the age of 13. Get it up there real big, real hot. All right, can we just give them a hand this morning and welcome them in here? Um, 
I want you to listen very carefully to this message today because your, your parents basically want, they want three things from you. They want three responses from you. More importantly, God wants three things from you. And when I finish with all three of these things that I'm talking about, I'm going to give you a test and see if you can remember them. And I'm sure that if you get them right, your parents will reward you. Right, parents? Okay. So, here we go. To improve your relationship in the home, first of all, parents want from you, little ones, first-time obedience. Amen? All right. Now, don't applaud. Just an amen. We don't want to make it too obvious, right? All right. So, here's the deal. I know that uh, most parents have said this at one time or another. I wish that my children would do what they're asked to do the first time. Right? The Bible commands children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so you ought to obey your parents, kids, because God commands you to do it and it's the right thing to do. But you also ought to obey your parents because your life's going to go a whole lot better if you do. You won't have... Now, kids, be honest with me. Raise your hand if you feel like your parents are on you all the time. Just be honest. Your parents aren't going to punish you. If, okay, all right. They feel like you're, they're on you all the time. You feel like maybe there's this constant hassle in the home. But here's the deal. If you do what you're asked to do the first time, you're not going to have that constant hassle in the home. Kids, what do you think would happen? Let me ask you a question. What do you think would happen if your mom and dad would say to you, time to get up, get out of bed, and don't pretend to still be asleep? What do you think would happen if you just got right up? up out of bed or or the first time your 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 mom or your dad says to you okay turn off the television and do your homework and you do it immediately and you don't gripe and you don't whine and you don't beg for another half an hour or, or they say hey you 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 can't play that video game any longer you turn it off right now you say yes ma'am yes sir and then you go do something unexpectedly like clean your room and then your dad says Please go get a wet towel because your mom has fainted. And you do that immediately, right? What do you think would happen if you start to do those things? If you start to obey your parents on the first request, I think they're going to be more careful about what they're telling you to do, and it's going to be more peaceful in your home. For example, if your parents, let's say you've got an 8.30 bedtime. Your parents want you in bed by 8.30, and your mom starts thinking, you know what, i got to start yelling at them at 7.30 because I know it's going to take me an hour for them to go to bed. And so for the next hour, you keep reminding, uh, your parents keep reminding you uh, to go to bed, and you're both on edge for that, for that hour. But if she tells you to go to bed, okay, it's at 7.30, and she says you go to bed, and you go and you crawl into bed immediately. What's going to happen the next night? Well, she's probably going to feel a little bit bad about that, and then she's going to not start getting on you till 8.30 to go to bed because she knows you're going to go immediately, right? And then you're going to have that extra hour of time where you're not going back and forth bickering, Right? I mean, is it a pipe dream? Can this happen? I think it can. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 in the Living Bible says, Listen to your father and mother. What you learn from them will stand you in good stead, and it will gain you many honors. Right? Another thing. 
that provides a healthy relationship is this. Get along with your brother and sister. That's what your parents want you to do. How many of you have brothers and sisters? Raise your hand if you have brothers and sisters, okay? How many of you sometimes get in a fight with your brother and sister? Okay, good. We've got a bunch of honest people. Even the adults are raising your hands now. This is really good, right? Uh, how many? Oh, raise your hand if it's always your brother or sister's fault. Okay, very good. good. How many of you have homes that sound like this? That's mine. I was playing with it. Mom, she hit me first, or, or he pulled my hair, or stay on your side of the car. Dad, tell him to quit poking at me, and don't touch me, and I'm telling you, and that's not fair, and quit looking at me. How many of you have heard these kinds of things before, parents? And some of this is normal. Some bickering is normal. There's something in our human nature that as brothers and sisters, we just love to agitate one another. It's called the sinful nature of man. I remember when I was about eight or nine years old, my brother Jeff and I, uh, we, we sometimes didn't get along. I know that's shocking. He was about 16 or 17. I was eight or nine. And I was mad at Jeff over something. Can't remember what it was. And mom noticed this bruise on my arm. And she said, Ronnie, how did you get that bruise on your arm? And I thought, here's my chance. <laughs> and I replied, Jeff hit me. And she jumped all over Jeff. Jeff, you shouldn't hit your little brother like that. You're so much bigger than him. You could really hurt him. I mean, she just read him the right act, got all over him. And then she asked me a question that I didn't account for. She said, when did he hit you? I hadn't thought about that. And my mind went blank, and I said, three years ago? <laughs> true story, true story, right? You know, and that didn't end well for me. And, uh, but, but here's the deal. Sometimes, you ever notice we treat sometimes our friends better than we treat our own brothers and sisters? You ever notice that? He said, yeah, I know, but I like my friends. No, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Deep down, you love your brother and sister. Everybody loves their brothers and sisters. If anybody else attacked your brother or your sister, you'd defend them to the end. Children, it's important to your parents, it's important to God that you get along with your brothers and sisters. So treat them with kindness. Do the absolute best that you can do to get along with them. Even if they get under your skin a little bit, rise above that and treat them the way that you would want to be treated. Now, kids, you, your parents have one thing that they would love to see more than anything, even more than first-time obedience, even more than treating your brother or sister nice. And, and here's, here's the big one. Believe in the Lord Jesus and be baptized. The Bible teaches us that we're all sinners. And that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. In Mark chapter 16 verse 16. Jesus promised that whoever believes in him and is baptized. Will be saved. And your parents want you to come to the point in your life. Where you're ready to make that decision. Where you understand that Jesus is your savior. And they want you to be baptized into him. The International Bible Society surveyed. Uh, thousands of people. And it showed that 83% of the people who accept Jesus Christ do so before the age of 13. So the longer you wait to accept Christ, the more difficult it becomes and the less likely it is. Now, I understand there are some situations where parents don't let you get baptized yet because they want to make sure that 
Do you understand what it means? It's not that they don't want you to get baptized. It's just that they want you to know that what you're doing is not some magic ritual. It's a commitment that you're giving your whole life to Jesus. When you're old enough to understand that and when you demonstrate that, I know that your parents are going to want more than anything for you to make that decision. And no one's going to be more proud than your brother or your mother or your father. And parents, let me say a word to you about your children's baptism. Because down through the years, I've spoken with many people about this down through the years. Uh, baptism for children is a great benchmark of salvation in their lives. Because here's the deal. A lot of kids grow up in the church. Um, and those who do, do not have the radical or dramatic conversion experience like a lot of people who grow up outside of the church do they don't they don't have to do this complete 180 degree reversal of behavior but their baptism will be a meaningful experience that they can look back on where they say this was the beginning of my walk with Christ this was the beginning where I made the decision for myself that I want to follow Jesus. And so I encourage you as parents, don't force them or nudge them to respond too early or you're going to rob them of the joy of making that decision on their own. But when you are sure or when you sense that they understand, then, then let them come. I, I've had some, some parents who say, well, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to make my kid wait until... They're in high school before they make that decision because then they're old enough to, to do that. Well, it becomes more and more difficult then as they get older to make that decision. As a child, they might not understand the meaning of atonement like you do, but their faith may never be more pure than it is at a young age. And Jesus said this. There were a couple times in Scripture where Jesus got angry. One of them was when they were turning over the tables in the temple. We know that story. But the other one is a little more obscure than that. It's not as obvious. Jesus was teaching and the little children started coming up to Jesus. And the disciples started keeping the children away. And said, you know, no, don't, you know basically don't bother him. He's busy. And Jesus said this. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When we look at that in the Greek, it's, it, it carries with it more of a, uh, a, a, it's a stronger way. Jesus is basically saying, don't you dare hinder a child from coming to know me. So when a child is ready and they want to do that and you feel that they're ready, I, you, you need to allow that to happen. So, all right, it's ready for, we're ready for a test. All right. You kids listen? Ready for candy? I promise you candy. You ready? What's the first one? The first parents, they want what? They want you to be obedient. All right, Matthew, good job. Can you catch that? All right, good job. What's the second thing? I, I just have to pretend like I'm in children's church this morning. I'm sure this is the way Lauren does it. Uh, what, what's the second? What's the second thing? What do they want? Parents, help them out. Matthew? Look. Brooklyn know it? Be nice to your brothers and sisters. There you go, Brooklyn. And, and Sawyer, do you know the third one? Do you know the third one? 
They want you to be baptized. All right, give our kids a hand. Good job, guys. Now, here's the deal. After church, all of our kids will get one of these, but you have to have identification with you and prove that you're a kid, all right? <clears throat> that doesn't even make sense. Uh, you don't have identification for kids. All right, let's talk to a few minutes, uh, for a few minutes to our teenagers. You excited, kids? All right, very good. I think one thing that, that parents want from their teenagers that are going to improve the relationship in the home is, number one is this, to remain morally pure. Um, I think teens, your parents are more deeply concerned because there's so many temptations out there these days and the temptations are right at your fingertips every single day. They want you to have the, the moral courage to resist the appeal of drugs and alcohol and Sexual promiscuity. Proverbs 20.11 says, Even a child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. And so God is saying, you're going to be held responsible for your actions. And so that's certainly true of teenagers. You're not exempt from accountability just because you're still young. You're still going to be held accountable for that. And so God requires you to walk in purity. But that's hard. Is really hard in this day and age, not only because of what's going on outside of your home and what's available at your fingertips, but what's going on inside of you. You have this innate desire to become independent from your parents. You want to challenge your parents' standards. You want to prove that you are your own person. As a teenager, you are probably more interested in pleasing your friends than you are pleasing your parents. And it's not that you don't care about your parents, it's just that you know that your parents are going to re love you regardless of what you do, and your friends, well, they might not, right? Your friends are going to be ready to humiliate you at the drop of a hat if you are not cool. And you have this sinful nature that sometimes is attractive, you know? It, it, it is attractive. Like I said, if, if sin wasn't fun, it wouldn't be so appealing, right? And so it's intriguing and it's attractive. The Apostle Paul said, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Romans 7, 18. He went on to say that the, the evil that he doesn't or that he wants to do or that. No, let me repeat that. He doesn't want to do evil. The evil that he does, he doesn't want to do. And the good that he wants to do, he's not able to do. And so you have this notion sometimes that. You can experiment with everything the, that the world offers and you're not permanently affected by it. I know people who have lived their lives this way. You think you can just kind of taste the world's poison but not drink it? You know, and Jesus told a story about a, a young man who was probably in his late teens and his, he said to his father, give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait for it. I'm tired of living under your rules. I can't take it anymore. And the father gave in. The boy took all of his... Money headed to the far country. He went as far away from home as he could possibly get. And the Bible says that he squandered all of his money in wild living. He chose the wrong friends. He partied. He drank. He did drugs. He gambled. He did everything. But one day his money was gone. And he was desperate. And his fickle friends deserted him. And he wasn't popular anymore because all of his money ran out and he got hungry. And so he took a job as a farmhand and he was so hungry that he was he was wanting to eat the pig slop that the pigs were eating. And he said to himself, this is stupid. My dad's farmhands have got it better than this. Maybe 
if I go back home, my father will forgive me enough to at least give me a job. I can be one of his employees, and at least I'll have some food to eat. And so he headed home, and he's, I can imagine he's rehearsing his speech all the way home. But his dad saw him coming from a long way off, and he raced to him and forgave him and restored him as a son. Now, a lot of people think, young people think, you know what? I'm going to be smarter than the prodigal son. I'm going to go off to the far country and I'm going to experience all the thrills and I'm going to experience all the pleasures of sin. But then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get my life right before I ever get stricken uh, with anything bad, you know, before I get seriously hurt or before I really cave into stupid temptations. Basically, a lot of people think I'm going to have the best of both worlds. Here's the deal. Um... Sin always leaves a scar. You might think, you know what, I'll have my fun now. I'll do whatever I want to do now. But you need to understand, sin always leaves a scar. A country preacher put it this way once, sin takes you farther than you thought you'd stray, keeps you longer than you thought you'd stay, and it costs you more than you thought you'd pay. So don't... Don't play that game. You'll regret it. Secondly, you have no guarantee you're going to live long enough to come back. And third, you miss out on the opportunities of of the wasted years that that you had. We don't know how long the prodigal was gone. But I think he probably missed out on a lot of things when he was absent from his home. It could be that God was getting ready to hook him up with a godly girl that he could have married. But maybe she married someone else while he was gone. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say this, but who knows? What what if his mother would have passed away while he was gone on this wild rant and he had to live the rest of his life knowing that he was never going to be reconciled to his mother because she had passed away and the money that he'd wasted was never going to be recovered. I think that's why your parents wish so much that you would remain morally pure. That's why I think most parents pray something along these uh, lines that the psalmist prayed in 119, 911. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. They are praying for you that you seek with all your hearts the Lord. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is what parents want you to be praying, children. And this is a prayer that parents are praying for you. That you wouldn't stray. And then another way is to have a pleasant attitude in the home. When the prodigal son came back, his father forgave him. He threw a big old party. But you know what? The older son was ticked off. Older son didn't like it. He's out working in the field. He hears the music. He comes back home. He asks what's going on. He was told your brothers come home and there's a big celebration. And the older brother got ticked. He pouted. He refused to go in. And his father begged him to come in and join the rest of the family. He snarled. Dad, I worked for you all of these years. I never, one, not one time did I run away and disgrace you. Yet, yet you never threw a party for me. It's not fair. And his sour attitude, it, it, it probably spoiled the celebration of the rest of the family. Teenagers, your attitude in the home affects the mood of the entire family. I don't know if you realize that or not. That's why it's so important to your parents that your spirit be pleasant 
and it be cooperative, and it can be done. That means you communicate with your parents. You don't put up walls. You don't resent the questions that they ask. You don't just grunt or mumble when they ask you a question. That means that, hey, here's an idea. You spend some quality time with your parents. I know that's a, that excites you guys. I know it does, but, but, but spend quality time with your parents. Don't get all bent out of shape and pout if you have to go on a trip with them that you don't really want to go on, or they ask you to do something. You don't roll your eyes in disgust whenever they ask you to do that. Whatever uh, they ask you to do, just kind of pleasantly do that. And then please stay away from this word. How many parents have heard this word? Whatever. How many of you like that word? Raise your hand. Okay, I I didn't think so. Please don't use that word, whatever, and then just walk away while they're still talking to you. You show respect to your parents by your body language, by your eye contact, by your attitude, by your verbal response. And then you forgive your parents too when they've made mistakes disciplining you. Because I'll tell you what, I I know that I've made mistakes as, as a parent in disciplining my children. And you forgive them when, when they when they mess up, because they're going to mess up too, we're going to mess up too. Don't, don't keep charging them and, and say, well, you're being hypocritical. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. And so you respect your parents' wishes about what they're asking you to do and about, about what you do, about your dress and about your activity. If your mom says, no, you can't, you can't wear that top. It's too revealing. You can't go out with those shorts on or you don't need to show your stomach to everyone. You don't beg and plead and complain about how narrow-minded and old-fashioned your parents are and then sneak out with those clothes in another bag and then put them on when they don't see you. You honor your, your parents' standards. Guys, if your dad says, no, you can't go to that unsupervised party or you can't go to that movie, don't storm into your room and close the door and threaten to hibernate for life. You honor your father and mother's guidance and accept their direction even though it's not what you want. Better yet, because here's what your parents really want from you. They want you to become spiritually mature enough that you have the spirit of discernment in which you don't ask for those things that are obviously inappropriate. This may surprise you, teenagers, but your parents don't want to have to tell you what to do all the time. Now, I know that may come as a shock. They're hoping that eventually you get to the point in your life where you want the right things instinctively. It means you look for ways to make a positive contribution to the family. You hang out with your parents sometimes, the way you do with your peers. I know it's weird, but do it. Empty the dishwasher on your own. Bring your clothes into the laundry. Better yet, go ahead and do a load of laundry. Moms, can I get an amen? Okay, very good. You speak up on the way home. Say something positive about what you heard in church today. It might be difficult, but you do that, okay? You say thanks when you get the car, when when mom and dad let you use the car. And then here you go, bring it home with a full tank of gas. Okay, that that might be asking a bit much. But anyway, um, you get the point, right? You get the idea of what I'm talking about. Someone said there are three stages of life. 
There's dependence, independence, and interdependence. And the teenage years are years of searching for independence. But real maturity is recognizing that we need one another. We depend on one another. Most seniors in high school, they start to figure this out. They realize that that just in a few months, they're going to be moving on. And all of a sudden, they're going to be recognizing their need for interdependence. And that's maturity. Now, very quickly, uh, I think there's something that parents want from their adult children. That will improve their health and their relationship. Here's the first thing. An ongoing relationship with their adult children. How many of you as parents of adult children ever think, I wish my children would treat me to dinner sometime. I wish my children would forgive me of my bad choices. I wish my children would spend time with me. I wish my children would talk to me more. I wish my children would love my husband unconditionally. I wish my children would recognize my wisdom. I wish my children would stay closer in contact. I think all of us have had some of those those thoughts before about our adult children because even though they might be out of the nest, we still we still want to be close to them. We still want that relationship with them. Proverbs 17, 6 says, Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Notice it doesn't say children are the pride of their parents. That's a given. We know that when our children are born, it's our pride and joy. This proverb says children should be proud of their parents. We don't really talk about that much, do we? Every parent wants their child to be proud of them just as they've been proud of their children. That's why it's really important to parents that children stay connected. And that takes effort. And sometimes that takes forgiveness. And it takes a lot of communication. Even if you're separated by many miles. With email and phone, text messaging, you can visit, you can send pictures, you share ball schedules, you invite them to special events. Let your parents know that they are wanted in your life. And that communication is increasingly important as parents age. Your older parents still want a relationship. Your older parents, they need care. They need visits. They need a touch. They need an evidence of love. The more feeble they become, the more important that attention is, I think. Jesus reserved some of his harshest criticism for the selfish, hypocritical Pharisees who refused to provide financial assistance for their parents. He said, you hypocrites. You honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from Him. But probably the wish that parents want most for their children is this. 
be faithful to the Lord. I've heard through my years of ministry so many Christian parents down through the years who speak about their adult children and say, man, I just wish my kids would walk with Jesus. I wish my kids would get more involved in church. I wish my son would not live with his girlfriend. I wish my daughter would just stay close to Jesus. I wish my daughter would marry a godly husband. My son would marry a godly wife. I wish my son would just find his way home to Christ. I wish my children would bring my grandchildren to church and teach them about Jesus. 3 John 1.4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Christian parents get more satisfaction out of knowing that their kids are walking with Christ than they do that, that, that than they know that they've got a good job, they've got a good income. Or maybe they've become successful. Or maybe they're even a little bit famous in the world's eyes. I think that's why parents are so concerned about what kids are learning in college. And how they're behaving. And why they're so interested in what you're doing. They know that the most important decision you make is not your college or your career. But whom you marry. And a lot of godly parents... They're having a difficult time because their children have strayed from the faith. They raised them right. They prayed for them. But now their kids aren't in church. They become more materialistic. They're partying. They're not teaching their children about the Lord. And their lifestyle is breaking their parents' heart. And they feel helpless. If you have godly parents who care for you and pray for you and plead for you, um, if you're sitting out there and you've, you, you've never made that decision, maybe you're online watching right now and maybe you've strayed a little bit or maybe you've never made that decision, I, I encourage you to swallow your pride not just for your parents' sake. Don't say, hey, I'm going to do this for mom and dad. But for your own sake. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, 7, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You have a Heavenly Father who loves you as you are. And He desires a close relationship with you. Regardless of what you've done. Regardless of how long you've been away. And if you hear his gentle, quiet whisper in your soul, don't harden your heart. The Bible says come to him. Be reconciled to him. Again, if you're watching online and you would 
uh, like to text the word ready to our church connection number. We encourage you to do that. We'll reach out to you as soon as possible. Maybe you're here today. You want to come forward during our song decision, a song of decision, or, or you want to text that word ready to us today as well. And we'll, we'll meet with you uh, after the service this afternoon or this evening sometime or this week. If you want to renew a right relationship with him, now's your time. His love is unconditional. His forgiveness is complete. And His offer is free. And here's what He says. He, he says that He desires that no one perish. No one perish. But everyone to come to repentance. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to ask you to consider being reconciled to Him today if you've not already done that. Let's pray together.